0: Welcome to the 215th episode of the 4th and 24 podcast with Patrick Winograd. I am your host, Randy Winograd. In this edition of the podcast, our topics are an overview of Patrick's weekend predictions and our weekly look at Major League Baseball. So let's jump right in with a look back at Patrick's weekend predictions. They are posted every Thursday on our website, 4thand24.com. And we will start in Major League Baseball, where Patrick went 1 and 3 with his weekend series predictions. And in the Women's World Cup soccer action, Patrick went 3 and 0. With his predictions, that means he went a combined 4-3 and three this past weekend. That brings Patrick's overall record to a 757-503 and 503 record, which is a 60.1% winning percentage. Patrick, your thoughts on your weekend predictions.
1: Well, I have unfortunately had another uh, bad week in MLB predictions, but this one was predictable as I was uh, hedging my picks for my fandom, and that kind of screwed with it. The other thing is that, The Reds had come into the series, and they had lost six in a row, and then they had won two in a row against the Giants, so I really had no idea if they were going to carry the two, be that team that won the two games in a row, or be the team that had just lost six in a row, so hard one to pick. Same thing with the Diamondbacks in that they had just taken the series from the Braves, but also the Braves were in their own losing streak at the time, so maybe it was just more bad Braves than it was good Diamondbacks. Hard to say, so... Struggled with pitching with picking that series anyway, um, but the Reds ended up sweeping the Diamondbacks in the first loss of the weekend. Then you had the Dodgers against the Rangers, both teams four and two since the break heading into the series. The Rangers lost their first game, I believe, or first two games, I believe, and then had won four in a row after that. Um, so very hard to tell, or excuse me, actually, I think they swept the Guardians and they took two or three from the Rays, but both teams had been playing very, very well heading into that series. The Dodgers had taken two of three from the Mets and two of three from the Orioles. So it was hard to decide uh, who to pick in that series. And I went with the fact that the Dodgers did not have their top pitchers going in that series and just thought that the Rangers would be able to get a hold of the rookies. But it was, in fact, the Dodgers who did a better job of capitalizing on rookie pitching from the opposition. Um, and the Dodgers were able to get the win off of Dane Dunning and also off of old friend Andrew Heaney to take two of three from the series. And then Corey Seager got hurt in the middle of the series as well. So didn't really help the Rangers offense, um, who actually I think they led in all the games, but the second game of the series. But the Dodgers uh, had a five, were down 5-4 in the first game, ended up winning 11-5. So there were some uh, very, very good performances uh, offensively by the Dodgers, scoring 11 and then 16 in the first two games. Not really something that uh, I could have predicted, despite the fact that L.A. was still 4-2 and two since the All-Star break. And... They end up coming out pretty well with those, with these uh, first, well, this first, the first three series, these two road trips, or this one road trip, all of nine games long, a very long road trip against very good teams, uh, end up going four and two against the Rangers and the Orioles, which is a pretty good result when you consider they entered the week fifth best in MLB in record and played two of the four teams that are better than them and were able to take series from both of them on the road. Uh, Anyway, the final series of the weekenders, actually I still have two left. The Guardians took two of three from the Phillies. Same situation here. The Phillies, kind of like the Reds, had played well, were on a winning streak, and then were on a losing streak heading into this, and I thought they'd be able to turn it around and go back to their winning streak form quicker. It's actually basically the opposite of the Reds. Um, but instead, it was the Guardians who were able to take the series from the Phillies, taking two of three. The Phillies took the game on Sunday in extras, but uh, won the first two games six to five and one to nothing. So a very close series. The Phillies definitely had their chances in this one. Uh, every single game in the series, as I just mentioned, was extra innings or a one-run game. So definitely could have gone either way. Um, And then the Braves, they took two or three from the Brewers. The Brewers had a one-run win on Saturday, but the Braves were able to take the Friday game and the Sunday game to give me the only win of the week in MLB. And then in Women's World Cup predictions, Nigeria and Canada tied 0-0. There have actually been a few early ties in this in this Women's World Cup that if you look at the FIFA rankings, you'd be very surprised about. This one, definitely one of them with Canada being a top 10 team, and Nigeria following outside of the top 40, I believe, or right on that borderline. Um, but a 0-0 scoreless tie. Same thing happened with France and their first opponent, where you just don't expect some of these teams to come out as cold as they have. Um, but they are, there's just been a little bit of a lack of goals, even if you look at the USA matchup. They were minus 75,000 heading into the day to win the game, and at some point were minus 55,000 right before the odds closed. Uh, but the over under in the game was six and a half, and Vietnam scoring zero goals in that game was, I believe, a, a minus 990, or, or the, the, um, both teams to score a goal was no minus 990. So that tells you that odds makers had it at around a six to nothing, seven to nothing win for the U.S., and that only ended up being. A three-to-nothing win, which obviously that's still significant, but the fact of the matter is the U.S. has put up 13 in women's World Cup games before, so not as much scoring, I guess, is the point I'm trying to make as as has been in the past um, in women's World Cup games, and just overall feels like the talent difference isn't as crazy uh, as it once was. You even have a team like South Africa who actually scored first against Sweden, despite Sweden being heavy, heavy favorites. Uh, In that matchup, Sweden, the number three team in the world, according to the FIFA rankings and South Africa, not not very high up there at all, Uh, not even in the top 50. Um, So it's very, very surprising to see these kind of results come out at the beginning of the tournament. And South Africa has still not won a game in the Women's World Cup, and yet they were able to score first in that game and barely even lost off of two late goals by Sweden. So a lot closer than we've expected so far. Uh, not the same for the second game of my predictions, which was Japan beating Zambia 5 to nothing. This one I was forced to pick because I did have to get four games and I had to get them, uh, you know, at a point where I could have published it on Thursday. There were two games that I initially had on Thursday, but they were at 3 in the morning and uh, 1 in the morning, so obviously I wasn't publishing my weekend predictions. Before then, they were probably closer games, but unfortunately couldn't get it out at that time, so I had to push it back. Uh, force this one to be in there despite the fact that it wasn't supposed to be so close, and then, you know, obviously have the limited time frame of having it be before we record, uh, so couldn't get technically the very, very best matchups, but still pretty good matchups uh, overall, uh, but Japan able to discard of Zambia pretty easily in that one, winning that one 5 to nothing. and then in the other two games, you have two one to nothing victories, Denmark beat China 1-0 and the Netherlands beat Portugal 1-0. Uh, which meant that I went three, I guess you could say 0-0, but or or 3-0-1, whatever you want to call it. But we don't do ties in my predictions, so we're just leaving it as a not a win, not a not a not a loss either, just leaving it as a tie. But overall, been very uh, entertained by the Women's World Cup. We'll probably make it its own segment once we're in the knockout stages or a little bit farther in the group stages, but at this point, there are still there's still an entire group, I believe Group H, that has not played a single game, and there are a few other groups that only half the teams have played games, uh, and the maximum any team has played is one game. So pretty early on in the tournament to be talking about kind of scenarios to advance and all that stuff, so we're going to leave it alone for now, um, and then maybe next week we might talk about it. Who knows, because it's also the trade deadline in MLB right after that on Wednesday, so we'll see what happens. Um, but for now it will be, I will still continue to predict it throughout the tournament. Um, and we will at least get to it at some point in terms of talking about the games and the standings, probably at least by the knockouts, despite the fact that we have not done that in the past with the men's World Cup or even with you know a tournament like Wimbledon or something like that in a different sport.
0: Okay, well, um, we'll be talking about those weekend predictions next week and they will be posted as always on our website, 4 24com On Thursday, let's now turn our attention to Major League Baseball with our weekly review of MLB action, and we start, as always, in the American League East.
1: This time, for the first time of this entire year, it's not the Tampa Bay Rays in first place. We have to talk about the Orioles first, which I've done on occasion anyway because they deserve it, but uh, despite the fact that they lost the weekend se- or the middle of the week series to the Dodgers, the Orioles end up in first place, actually, at 61-38, and a 6-16 winning percentage only behind the Braves for the best win percentage in baseball. Um so a pretty impressive mark that they've put up. They have been near the Rays in the win column for a very long time but uh or sorry, in the loss column they've been near or ahead of them for the whole year pretty much or not the whole year but recently. Um but they're finally pulling away in terms of the win column as well. The Brave, or sorry, the Rays 3 and 7 in their la- in their last 10, the Orioles 7 and 3. And this weekend was the culmination of it all, where the Orioles and the Rays played a four-game series. And I really wanted to put this in my weekend predictions because I knew that the Orioles were going to win this series. It was just so obvious that the Rays are trending in the wrong direction, the Orioles trending in the right direction, regardless of the fact that they ran into the buzzsaw that was the Dodgers playing well all of last week. Um, but look, it was a four-game series, so I didn't predict it. But the Orioles did end up winning that series in Tampa Bay. Uh, they won the first game 4-3 to three in 10 innings. The Rays won the second game 3-0, but then the Orioles closed it out with 6-5 th- five and 5-3 five victories on Saturday and Sunday to close out the series, and now all of a sudden they're 61-38, and 38. the Rays are 61-42, and 42. the Rays find themselves two games back of the Orioles. Despite the big gap in run differential, it really does feel like the Orioles are just playing better baseball right now, um, and whoever of these teams adds more at the trade deadline is probably going to win this division. Um, and I also wouldn't even be surprised, honestly, if the Rays added more than the Orioles and still didn't catch back up just because they haven't played well in a long time. Um, I, I just don't see quite the same energy that they normally have there. Uh, and if you look at it, since their 20-3 start, they're the 12th best team in the league. So this is not necessarily a recent thing. This has been going on for a long, long time. It, it, since that span, they, they would literally, if you if you started the season... 24 games of the year instead of at the very beginning of the year, they wouldn't have the second best record in the AL. They would be the last team into the playoffs. They would be behind the Orioles. They would be behind the Blue Jays. Uh, the Mariners have a better record than them in that time frame. The Rangers do, and Houston does as well, and the Twins also have a better record uh, in that time frame. Or actually, I don't think they do, but they win their division anyway, so it doesn't really matter. Uh, but look... That's all you need to know about the Rays. It's just been a rough season since their 20-3 start. People who don't talk about it enough that this team is really... Not, I mean, since since maybe 45, 50 games in the season, this team has just not been dominant. It's just obvious if you've been watching uh, all year long. It still looked like that 20-3 start was so good, though, that they weren't catchable, but... You know the Orioles—they've ponied up. They're all of a sudden second-best record in baseball. That was what it was going to take to catch the Rays, and they were able to do that. Um, but again, they started twenty and three. They're now sixty-one and forty-two. If you do the math, they are forty-one and thirty-nine since that start. So not that great. Um, that is just a very middling team. That's pretty much you know if you look at win percentage, that's the win percentage of the Angels and the Mariners, and a little bit below the Twins. So. Not a great team since that really really hot start, and I think there also there's a point where you can cut it off, and they're actually under five hundred since then. But I don't know the exact point. They might have been thirty and nine or something like that. But regardless, those two have flipped at the top, and in third place you still have the Toronto Blue Jays. They are six and a half games back, six and four in their last ten. Uh, they won their game today, but overall they lost the series to the Mariners. And they lost their last series to the Padres, although they did sweep the the Diamondbacks before that coming out of the break. Um, so, overall, a good start, to, a decent start to the second half for the Blue Jays, I should say. They're 5-4. and four. Uh, Their competition level, though, hasn't been that great because when you look at what the Diamondbacks have done since the break, they are 2-8. and eight. And then you have the Padres and the Mariners, who were both sub-500 heading into those series. So... I'm not gonna say they played good teams and going five and four. I'm gonna say they played all teams that are worse than them, frankly, at the moment. The Diamondbacks are better than them over the course of the season, but not right now. Um, and yet they only went five and four in that stretch. So I don't really see them playing a factor in this divisional race, but I do think that they might be able to hold on to that wild card spot. It'll all depend on how aggressive the Yankees are at the deadline, maybe even how aggressive the Angels are at the deadline in terms of just keeping guys Uh, Around obviously talking about Shohei there, and then how aggressive the Blue Jays are themselves, Um, because it's going to be a tough a tough deal to actually sit in this wild card race uh, with how good and how deep the AL is as a whole. But speaking of the Yankees and also the Red Sox, they are tied at the bottom of the division. Fifty three and forty seven is their record, a half game better than the Central leading Twins, Uh, but yet. Both of them, unfortunately, on the outside looking in, when it comes to the playoff picture, two games back of the Blue Jays for the final wild card spot. The Yankees have won three in a row, uh, but they're four and six in their last ten. And you know, before the Yankees fans get some false hope, the sweep was against the Royals, and they had just gotten swept by the Angels, and also they had dropped their first series of the br- after the break to the Colorado Rockies. So hold your hold your horses in terms of getting very hyped about the second half of the season if you're a Yankees fan. I mean. The one thing that is a good sign is that Anthony Rizzo started uh, hitting home runs again, a.k.a. he hit one home run, which was his first one since May 20th. It is the longest streak of his career, but um, they still have coming up now the Mets for two games, who you know they're not the greatest team, but they will be fighting uh, very hard. And then they have the Orioles for three, and then the Rays for three as well, and then the Astros for four. So some tough series coming up, and if Aaron Judge, yes, he Played He he had batting practice today, but if he doesn't come back before the start of August, by the time this team has played or is in the middle of the Rays series and before they play the Astros, I don't know exactly what they're going to do in terms of winning those games, winning those series, and being able to come out actually competitive enough to keep claiming that wildcard spot. Meanwhile, the Red Sox have a bunch of hot hitters that have led them to a great start out of the break. They are 6-4 and in their last 10, just finished off beating the Mets in a series, one, two of three. They did lose two of three to the A's, but they also split with the Cubs coming out of the break, who are, or sorry, they won two out of three against the Cubs. Um, and overall, they're playing pretty well, I would say, as a whole. They have taken two of three, as I said, in two of their series. They dropped two of three to the A's, but I'm not too concerned about that. Uh, more of a blip for them. But now they're going to have some tough series coming up, playing the Braves for two, and then playing the Hungry Giants, who are now in a very, very contested wild card race, Uh, in the NL uh, coming up after that. So we'll see what the Red Sox do this week. Uh, Might determine how aggressive they are at the trade deadline. Definitely won't be Sellers. The only guy they might move is probably Kike Hernandez if they can find a team to take a flyer on him as he's been struggling and doesn't really have that much of a place and is probably just sitting there blocking some prospects that could come up anyway. Uh, But the Red Sox and the Yankees playing better as of recent, more so the Red Sox, but we'll see if the Yankees can kick it into high gear with Aaron Judge coming back soon and any moves they can make at the deadline.
0: You yeah, the Rays are interesting in, in that they're two games back because they're four back in the loss column. They played 103 games. Um, only the A's have played 102. Everybody else is 101. So very weird how the Rays maybe had all those games packed in before the All-Star break, and then they're going to be, uh, be, be wishing that they had uh, some more games to play after the break, whereas the A's are just happy they've got uh, basically more games played than anybody else. We'll talk about them in a bit. Uh, let's jump over to the Central.
1: Not much to talk about in the Central as normal, very, very dry division here, but the Twins have won three in a row, and they're 8-2 in their last 10, uh, coinciding with the Guardians going 4-6 and six in their last 10, and all of a sudden, the Twins are a respectable division leader. They are not a good division leader, they're not a great division leader, but they're up there in terms of, you know, they would be second in most divisions, not the AL East, but they'd be second or third in pretty much all the divisions, it's not... It's not looking like an embarrassing division winner. All the talk about being an under 500 division winner is probably being put away. Um, But a good start to the second half for the Twins. Not necessarily um, something that was super unpredictable when you look at their schedule and realize that they played the A's for three games and then played the White Sox for three games and played the Mariners in between that. So nothing too ridiculous there. I mean, you know, the Mariners got them for one game and nobody else has beaten them since the break. So that is still impressive because... We just talked about some good teams that have played an even worse competition. I'm looking at the Yankees, who have a better overall record. Uh, but look, the Yankees played the Rockies, and they had two of three, and the Rockies took two of three from them. Uh, so it's not like every team that's bad is e- well. I mean, there are some teams that are pushovers. The A's and the Rockies are definitely two of them. But even when you play those teams, it doesn't necessarily just guarantee that you're going to be handed the series. So the Twins did what they needed to do. They took all three. Uh, against the A's, after going into the break pretty rough, they had swept the twi- they had swept the Royals, excuse me, but then they lost all three series at or all three games of the series at home to close out the first half against the Orioles. So that was a rough ending, and they came out on fire though on the on the opposite end of the break, coming out with that sweep of the A's on the road, and then taking two of three from the two or sorry, splitting uh, a four game series with the Mariners, and then now sweeping the White Sox over the weekend. So a strong start for them since the break. They are eight and two. Uh, in their 10 games now they finally get to have well actually they don't get an off day until Thursday but they should get an off day they're going to play the Mariners again and they're going to play the Royals so if it's anything like last week they should be able to take care of business and maybe extend their lead even more over the Cleveland Guardians the Guardians meanwhile they have an easy schedule coming up but out of the break they didn't have uh, such lucky uh, outcomes they played the Rangers on the road who were angry Coming out of the break, they got swept by the Rangers, and then they played the Pirates. They were able to take two or three from them, but they choked the game on Wednesday to close out a series sweep after putting up 11 runs and 10 runs in the first two games. Uh, And then, yes, they did win the series against the Phillies, so they played better uh, now that they have gotten over the hump of playing the Rangers, uh, 4-2 since playing the Rangers, so that's not bad. But I don't know if that's going to be enough when you look at how weak the Twins' schedule is right now uh, coming up, although the Guardians themselves get to play the Royals for three and then the White Sox for four. So they have maybe an easier schedule um, than the Twins, who do play the Royals themselves, but actually have to play the Mariners in between that. Um, And then they go to the Astros. So we'll see how much that schedule evens out afterwards. You never know how quickly it could turn. Uh, But still, the Guardians, I I feel like they're starting to play better. They've put up more consistent high numbers offensively despite the fact that they're still not a great offensive team. It's just that you've been looking for them to put up at least good numbers this year uh, throughout the year and they just haven't been able to do that and their pitching has been injured which doesn't help. It seems like they've now found the rookies that are stepping up and they have the veterans who are coming back from injury um, and, and just overall the staff ERAs look a lot better than they did at the beginning of the season. Helps that they called up Gavin Williams, one of their really really highly rated prospects Tanner Bybee has settled into his role in the rotation as well. Um, So everything's looking better for the Guardians, but I just don't know. It's really just going to depend on how the Twins play. If they do what they did last year, where even after adding at the deadline, they just collapsed. The Guardians are going to easily win this division. But if the Twins actually play up to the level that they should, I don't think the Guardians are going to be able to take the division back playing the way that they're playing. Um, I think that they're just playing as too much of a middling team. I don't see the upside in this team as much as I did, A, at the end of last year, and B, at the beginning of this season. Uh, but anyway, in the rest of this division, you have the Tigers, who were seven games back at 45 and 54. They're 6 and 4 in their last 10. Honestly, not too many bad things to say about the Tigers at this point. They're a somewhat competitive team, which is not where they're supposed to be. Uh, they're better than the White Sox by five games. They're better than the Cardinals by a little bit now. They're still better than the Pirates. They're almost at the same record as the Mets, so you can't really criticize them considering what they're dealing with on their team and the fact that their ace has been out for half the year anyway. So they, they can actually be maybe a good team next year. But then again, the last time we said that, maybe pick them as a playoff sleeper, they just completely were one of the worst teams in the league. So you never know what happens with them. Um, but maybe maybe this time the free agency signing isn't Javi Baez. It, it, well, it won't be because he is signed to them. But, you know. A better signing than that. Let's just leave it at that. And then the White Sox are 41 and 60, 12 games back. They will be sellers at the deadline. If they are not, then uh, let's just say they should clean out the front office and maybe even change what the office itself looks like. Uh, I mean, they'd have to change a lot if this team doesn't sell at the deadline. Yet somehow, as many people have pointed out, Rick Hahn is there. Well, there are three GMs who have been tenured for longer than 10 seasons. He's the only one without a single pennant or World Series win. The other, the other ones are Brian Cashman and Mike Rizzo for the Nationals, who obviously they had their one quick World Series run there. And then Cashman has been the GM of the Yankees for a very, very long time, since the 1998 season. Um, so, yeah, 20-plus postseason appearances for him. While the Nationals haven't had that much of success, the White Sox haven't had any success under Rick Hahn at all, and yet he's still there. I don't see how he can make it past this season when you could possibly argue that they they somehow made the only managerial hire they could have made to be even worse than Tony La Russa by bringing in a manager with no experience whatsoever. So I really don't see how this front office stays together. Um, and if the team stays together, which it definitely shouldn't, um, then I don't really see how that will work out anyway. But regardless, they need to be sellers of the deadline. If they're not, I mean, this is this just... It's just a malfunction. Malpractice. Uh, yeah, you got you got to look. General
0: managerial malpractice. You, you
1: got to look into it, like you looked in, like the NBA looked into Jerry Colangelo and the and the tanking stuff with the Sixers at that point. If they actually don't sell at the deadline, they must have vendettas against other teams at that point. Uh, but anyway, then at the bottom of the division, you have a team that would be a seller, but they don't have anything to sell. It's the Kansas City Royals. They're twenty eight and seventy three. Uh, they are twenty five games back of the worst division leader in baseball, which is honestly kind of hilarious that they that they are so bad that they can be 25 games back of this team that the twins that is a third place team in most other divisions uh in the AL East it's a last place team they would be a few games ahead of the Angels for third they would be behind the Marlins for third they'd be fourth in the NL East they would be fourth in the NL West I could go on and on but to be 25 games behind that team is pretty embarrassing um and to say the least that is a Perfect description of the Royals season.
0: Yeah, well, the Royals are a half game ahead of the Oakland A's, who reside in the American League West. So let's take a look at the West.
1: Well, somehow the Royals might actually end up with the worst record in baseball, even after all the bad stats about the the A's and their horrible offense at the beginning, or their horrible pitching staff at the beginning of the season. Um, Really funny stat about this division is that, you know, if you look at run differentials overall, it looks like the AL East is just dominating, and all their teams are way better than the other teams. But if you took the A's out of the AL West, the run differential of the four other teams in that division is almost as good as the run differential of those teams, the AL East. So while it looks like that differential is there uh, and it looks bleak for everybody else in terms of competing with those teams from that division, it's a little skewed by the fact that the AL East doesn't have an A's in their basement in the same way that the AL Central has the Royals bringing them down, although their whole division is terrible anyway. Um, And in the same way that the Dodgers division in the NL West has the Rockies bringing down the overall run differential, uh, if you've ever seen people throw out the combined run differential graphic, keep in mind how bad it can be skewed by the basement team being the A's or the Rockies instead of being the Red Sox or the Yankees. There's a big difference there. Uh, But regardless, the Rangers are in first place in this division at 59 and 41. They're very close to catching the Rays, but. That is no longer what you're after. Now you have to be after catching the Orioles. Um, They will still go in right now as the two-seed if the playoffs started today. A plus 151 run differential for them, the best in the American League. Uh, Actually now better than the Atlanta Braves. I did not see that, but they are officially a better run differential than the Braves, which is surprising because uh, the Dodgers beat them by 13 yesterday. But anyway, uh, they do have the best run differential in baseball somehow. 7-3 in their last 10. Uh, and then three games behind them, you have the Houston Astros at 56-44, and 6-4 and four in their last 10, a decent run differential in the year at plus 55, uh, a better pitching staff than the Rangers, but a far worse offense, which isn't really saying much considering how great the Rangers have been offensively all year long. Uh, they probably have the best hitter in baseball when he's healthy, Corey Seager this year, but unfortunately on the IL again, so that'll be tough for the Rangers to have to deal with, but... This division will probably come down to those two teams playing each other. They look like they're going to tre- They're going to kind of tread water against the other teams, probably about in the same, uh, like, statistical categories. I mean, you know, I'd say the same teams that the Rangers would take two or three from, I see the Astros taking two of three from. Same thing in terms of who they would lose a series to. Um, so they'll play pretty even. It'll probably rely on those head-to-head series. And then in third, you have the Angels, who are two games above 500. 6-4 and four in their last 10. They are 8 games back. They are now in an even tougher place for the Shohei Otani, uh, you know, decision-making process. Uh, now now I'm actually on the side that they can't really sell at the deadline because I, you can't say that in the final year of Shohei, you're, potentially at least, you're going 2 games above 500, and you're just going to sell and bail out at the deadline. But... I will say, I stand by the statement that it is a bad thing for their team if they don't trade Shohei at the deadline, because when he walks at the end of the year for nothing, regardless of if they made a playoff appearance or not, this is not a World Series team. And the fact of the matter is, it still goes back to the original discussion of what are you going to do to surround Trout with players that you get the best player in baseball to the highest stage of baseball. Um, And now, obviously, now, now Shohei is a better player than Mike Trout, so now you have the two best players in baseball, arguably, and you need to get both of them to the World Series. But they just haven't been able to do that. And um, I mean, I guess I, I guess the Angels can go all in if they really want to. I don't think that would be a good idea. I think going all in would frankly be a worse idea than going all out and going really selling top to bottom from the roster. Uh, but at the same time, I don't know how many pieces guys are willing to take or other teams are willing to take. Obviously, I mean, the the best thing they could do for this franchise other than trading Otani and getting back a massive haul of prospects is getting the Rendon contract off the books, but I don't know who would ever take that on. Maybe that would be their way of, uh, or maybe that would be another team's way of getting, having to give up less prospects to get is saying, well, we'll take on the Rendon contract because that would be a massive upheaval uh, for, the, for the Angels, and it would also free them up to really actually rebuild the core around Trout, around maybe players who might actually play a few games here and there instead of having more IL stints than home runs with the team. Uh, but regardless, no more shots at Anthony Rendon. The Mariners, they are in fourth at 50 and 49. This team should do nothing at the trade deadline. They can read, maybe, maybe they can be one of those teams that can be a simultaneous buyer and seller. Get some guys out of the bullpen and trade them to other teams at, at high values. Get some prospects or young MLB uh, players who are ready back. And, and you know, that is um, what I, I believe a lot of people have said about the Mariners in general is that They should be looking at other teams where there are guys who are, who should be up in the majors but can't because they're blocked position-wise. You know, you look at a guy like Michael Bush with the Dodgers, maybe the Mariners have something they can give out of the bullpen, help the Dodgers' bullpen depth, and then the Dodgers give up Bush if the guy is good enough, and all of a sudden, Bush can actually play instead of being blocked by a bunch of major leaguers who are having good seasons. Max Muncy, Mookie Betts becoming an infielder now and then all of a sudden the Mariners get a good young player and they're able to retool faster because they're not in a position to sell at all. They're in a good position in terms of being a contender. It just hasn't happened the way they'd like it to this year, and I don't think that they have enough to turn it around and enough prospect capital to uh, get the premier players of the deadline that they can or that are out there, mostly because they gave them all away to get Luis Castillo last year, and yes, that was a good idea um, and continues to to pay dividends for them, but the Reds are using those prospects that... They gave up for Castillo, and they are taking them to a playoff appearance of their own. So, worked out for both teams, but the Mariners, probably not a team that should be doing too much of the trade deadline. And then you have the A's. They're 28-74. and They made the most recent move uh, of the deadline, trading Shintaro Fujinami to the Orioles, who has been a better pitcher as a reliever than as a starter. Signed a one-year deal out of Japan uh, at the end of the year, or at the end of the free agency period, but... We will see what the Orioles do with that. He will be a middle reliever probably for them. They need some help in the bullpen. So it makes sense that they would take that. We'll see what happens with the A's and if there are any other players that they can trade off the roster. I mean, he was kind of the one candidate. They don't have many players on one-year deals and the ones who are are not that great either. So it'll be interesting to see what they do. They're obviously going to sell as many of those uh, short-term contracts as possible, but they mostly are stuck with guys that are on, you know, in the middle of arbitration and are very, very young. So not much to move if you're the A's. Still, worst team in baseball, 28 and 74 overall. Minus 258 on the run differential, which is nearly 100 runs worse than the Royals, who are only a half a game better than them.
0: Yeah, and their negative 258 run differential is actually uh, brings the whole division negative. Despite every other team being 252 total positive, it brings the whole division down. Um, Food for thought for you on the Angels. Why don't they trade Shohei and Rendon so that they free up enough money to
1: re-sign Shohei next year. Well, that I mean, that would also be part of the discussion of having another team take on Rendon is that you actually could go out and offer the money for Shohei. I think they have enough money for Shohei. I just don't think that... Uh, my, my whole thing with Shohei and the Angels is that I just don't see a way that he would on, return to that when they have continually okay, been out of the playoffs, out of the playoffs, out of the playoffs, no matter how all in they've gone. I mean, this year was their craziest... Offseason, It felt like they had finally put things together. They got Brandon Drury. They got Tyler Anderson to bulk up the pitching staff. Patrick Sandoval had a great second half of last year and looked to be turning up. And then all of a sudden, Sandoval is back to his first half of last year form. Drury has been good but has been injured a lot. Hunter Renfro has been really inconsistent this year. And Rendon is injured as always. And Trout is injured more than always. So, you know, I just—or more than usual, I should say. So— I just don't see why he would come back to that when there were other teams that he was already prepared to go to in the past. And the other thing is, the National League now has a DH, which means that he has 15 other options on the table that weren't on the table in 2017 when he signed.
0: Very good point. Well, speaking of the National League, let's move over there and start in the National League East.
1: Well, starting with the team that could actually be the sleeper in the Shohei Otani discussions, the Braves, by signing all their players to, uh, you know, first year out of college contracts... They, they have enough money to get Shohei, which would be the scariest thing ever because they would probably win like seven World Series in a row. Uh, but they have the best record in baseball, 64-34, and 34, a 653 winning percentage. Every single player from this core is signed until like 2029, except for Max Fried, but he's injured anyway this year. So um, just a warning, this is what it's going to look like for a very long time in this division. And also in MLB as a whole, going to be very tough to unseat the Braves. They're kind of going to have to undo themselves from within. I mean, all those guys were signed, like I said, for so long that it's going to be really hard to get them off the throne of the league. But they have been defeated before. They might get defeated again. They are 4-6 and six in their last 10, so they're not unstoppable. We now know this. The Brewers made them look human this weekend, and so did the Diamondbacks by, well, putting up 16 runs on them in the middle of the week and taking a series uh, from them. But overall, the Braves still light years ahead of all the other teams in their division, 53 and 46 in second place uh, is the Philadelphia Phillies. They're tied with the Marlins, who are 54 and 47, both 11 and a half games back, Uh, although both teams taking very different routes to get there. The Marlins going 2 and 8 in their last 10 to sink down to the Phillies level, Um, and then meanwhile, the Phillies going 5 and 5 in their last 10 to just kind of tread water and hope to stay above uh, the Marlins. But what's really important with these two teams is that they are currently both a half game back. Uh, of the National League second and third positions for the wild card. Crazy thing right now is that you have Arizona, Cincinnati, excuse me, at 55 and 46, and I'll get to Cincinnati in a second in more detail. Uh, they're 55 and 46. And then you have Arizona and San Francisco, who are a half game back of Cincinnati. And then the Phillies are just a half game back. And the Phillies and the Marlins, excuse me, are just a half game back of Arizona and San Francisco. So you have one game separating. Five teams. For three wild card spots, it is a log jam in the National League wild card, and I'll get to more of how that happened uh, in a second. But then you have the Mets; uh, they are third of the three teams that are really—I mean, well, I'll say this: they're, they're, they're the third best team in the team of in the group of teams that's all teams that should be sellers at the deadline, but all teams that I have a feeling are going to convince themselves to all be buyers just for them to all miss the playoffs by like five or six games. Anyway, um, that group of teams is them, the Padres, and the Cubs. I, I think that all of them are going to somehow convince themselves that Cody Bellinger hitting 460 in July means that he's back to his MVP form and they are just a pitcher or two away and the Cubs are going to go all in. And also that maybe San Diego thinks, well, we've been playing better recently. We had the best run differential of any team in the wildcard race. Actually, any team that's not leading a division, uh, almost in all of baseball. Um, and yet they're still not good enough to be a playoff team. They're set, They're six games back. And then there you have the Mets, who are seven and a half games back, and yet people still are not talking about them as an obvious seller at the trade deadline. It's crazy to me that that's still happening. Um, but I hope they don't convince themselves to be buyers at the deadline, but they might. We'll see what happens with that. Um, but the Mets, in terms of where they are in the division, they're 46-53, 18 and a half back, and seven and a half back in the wild card. I'd honestly put more money on St. If you had to... Put a gun to my head and say, "Who would you put on more money on to make the playoffs?" I would take the Cardinals making the playoffs before I would take the Mets making the playoffs. And I and the Cardinals have been one of the worst teams in the league all year long. So the Mets just should not be all in. And yet, I have a feeling they might do it anyway. Uh, but regardless, four and six in their last ten, and then you have the Nationals at the bottom of the division who are forty-one and fifty-eight. But I will give them some credit; they've climbed out of the back, or sorry, out of the cellar of the National League by sweeping the Giants this weekend. so And they've also made the NL wildcard race really fun because it would be a lot worse if the Giants were one or two games ahead. Instead, they are in the thick of things, at the th- tied for the second wildcard spot, uh, tied for second and third, so to speak, and then also only a half game ahead of those two teams in the NL East that I was talking about earlier. So the Nationals have helped to make everything interesting.
0: Okay, let's move over to another uh, division that got interesting, Central.
1: Well, the Brewers had taken things from the Reds by beating them in two straight series, and all of a sudden, the Brewers running into some tougher competition. um, They lost their weekend series to the Braves, despite the fact that they're 7-3 in their last 10. The Reds are now a half game back, breathing down their necks once again. Um, And even greater for this competition in this division, they're playing each other again this week, which is crazy because it feels like Reds and the, Bre- the Reds and Brewers have played each other like every single day for like two weeks. And if it feels that way, it's because the Reds played the Brewers in Milwaukee to end the first half. The Brewers played the Reds in Cincinnati to start the second half. And then the Reds played the Giants and the Diamondbacks, and now they're playing each other again. So it is true that they have been playing each other pretty much for two weeks straight. Just a one-week break in between. And all of a sudden, this series once again... Going to be very, very interesting going to decide who comes out in the lead with that half-game difference. It means that if Cincinnati takes two of three, they will be a half-game ahead of the Brewers. If the Brewers take two of three, they'll be two and a half ahead, or sorry, one and a half ahead of Cincinnati, and so on and so forth. Um, But very, very interesting outcomes here. Uh, The Reds have won five in a row. The Brewers sent them on a cold streak like no other, had lost four games in a row. Then the Giants beat them twice at the beginning of their series, but the Reds indirectly becoming the Dodgers' best friend by beating the Giants the last two games of the series and then also sweeping the Diamondbacks over the weekend. So uh, the Dodgers very, Dodgers fans very, very happy with what the Reds have been doing, uh, and no one really cares who wins that division, but let's just hope that, it, well, Dodgers fans do hope, though, that the Reds maybe carry that hot streak through the middle of the week and then fall off by next weekend when the Dodgers have to play the Reds again. Uh, but anyway... Uh, not 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 speaking of the Dodgers at all, but Cody Bellinger for the Cubs has been the best player in the league, basically, in all of July. Um, he has been absolutely on fire. There's no other way to describe it. His batting average on the season is up to .319. His OPS is .918. He's the second-highest war on the team, only behind Dansby Swanson. Uh, and he has had 100 fewer at-bats than Swanson. So it's crazy to say this, but Cody Bellinger could be a prime, prime trade— there's a there is a conversation that you could have and you could argue that Cody Bellinger is the best tradable asset at this trade deadline. I would probably make that argument because there aren't many none of the starting pitchers are really ace quality that I think are actually going to be on the move. Um if you're taking Shohei off the table then I really think he probably is the best candidate because it's really him you got Tommy Pham as another outfielder who's had a decent season but a 918 OPS is not always a on the table at the trade deadline, and by not always, I mean it's basically never on the trade, or never out there, Uh, but he's just been on a tear for July, don't really know what's gotten in him, maybe he's trying to work his way back to the Dodgers, Um, who knows, but I I mean, you just look at his, you just look at his game logs, and you, you just see two hits, three hits, one hit, two, 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 and it's just, it's just insane, honestly, there's no other way to describe it, in July, overall, he's 32 for 70, with 17 runs scored, Six home runs, 19 RBI, a four fifty-seven batting average, and a 1,258 OPS. At the end of June, his OPS was 780. On the season, it's now 910. So his he's uh, raised that by 130 points in a month, including the fact that the All Star break was in the middle of this month. So it hasn't even been a full month. Pretty much 15 games or so. Uh, but other than that, the Cubs not really too impressive, uh, despite the fact that they've gotten. Honestly, a better form than 2019 MVP Bellinger somehow. They are still six and a half back in the division. Uh, They have won three games in a row. They took three or four from the Cardinals over the weekend, but they're only six and four in their last 10, and they're still five and a half back in the wildcard race. So we'll see what happens. That's why I'm talking about Bellinger being a tradable piece rather than uh, a centerpiece for a potential playoff team. Uh, But then you have the Cardinals. They are 44 and 56. There was a point where it was looking a little bit hopeful for them. If you take out the last three games of the Cubs series... They were 44 and 53. Uh, not uh, them not being 10 games or worse under 500 was it would have been a revelation. But unfortunately, uh, after taking the first game of the series against the Cubs, they lost the remaining three. They're now 10 games out of the wildcard race, 11 out of the race in the Central, and then finally at the bottom of the division, you have the Pirates at 43 and 56, 11 and a half back, 3 and 7 in their last 10.
0: All right, let's move on to last, but certainly not least, the National League West.
1: The Dodgers are in the lead in this division at 57 and 41. They came into the break tied with the Diamondbacks for the NL West lead and you know I mentioned their competition level last week after they played the Mets uh, to start the second half. I had said, look, it's going to be really really hard if you're the Dodgers to keep this up and actually end up with this divisional lead when you consider the fact that you were tied going into the break. And then you played a nine-game road trip against the fourth-best record in baseball, the third-best record in baseball, and then the Mets, who really need to start kicking it into high gear and also do still have talent on their roster. Um, And despite that, the Dodgers just really acted like it didn't matter who they were playing, not to mention the fact that now the Orioles have the second-best record in baseball, so it's actually an even harder schedule than it looked originally. The Dodgers took two of three from all of those teams, end up 6-3 and out of the break, While the Diamondbacks, who are in second place right now four games back, they got swept by the Reds. Um, They did take two of three from the Braves, but the Blue Jays swept them also out of the break. So two and six since the break for the Diamondbacks, while the Dodgers have gone six and three. And honestly, they've played relatively even schedules. When you look at Blue Jays, Braves, Reds, and you compare it to um, Mets, Rangers, Orioles, it's pretty much even if you probably tallied up all the winning percentages. Um, although the Braves would definitely skew that maybe a little bit in the Diamondbacks favor. Um, but still, regardless, uh, they are four games back. The Giants are also four games back. They really don't have an excuse because despite the fact that they played the Reds, uh, they did get they did just get swept by the Nationals. There is no excuse for that. Uh, they swept the Pirates coming out of the break. they took two of the fir- they took the first two out of four uh, against the Reds. but then since then they started off five and0, and they've ended 0-5 since the break. So they are 5-5. Dodgers 6-3 in that span. Diamondbacks 2-3 or sorry, 3 and 6 in that span. So uh, in the end, it ends up being the Dodgers who get back on top. Actually, the Diamondbacks 2-7 in that span. Sorry. Um, so the Dodgers, after all that, with probably the toughest schedule out of those teams, definitely tougher than the Giants who played the Pirates, Reds, and Nationals, probably should have had an opportunity for the Giants to make up some games and actually uh, gain ground on the Dodgers. Instead... Their five and five record allowed them to gain ground and tie the Diamondbacks, but they're now tied at four games back, and that's not really too helpful. Um, and even in the wild card race, the Reds have really skewed things in their favor by salvaging that series split against the Giants after such a terrible start. All of a sudden, now having the best wild card uh, or best record of a wild card team, and they're half a game above Arizona and San Francisco. Meanwhile, Arizona and San Francisco only a half game above Philly and Miami Uh, for both of them. You look at the schedules going forward, Arizona has the Cardinals and then the Mariners, and then the Giants will play them at the end of the month or starting at the end of the month. The Giants have the A's and the Red Sox. So definitely some opportunities to get some wins there. Um, Although I believe that some of those teams still are going to play each other at the end of the season. The Giants do have the Phillies in the middle of August. um, And then the Giants actually, I think they're actually done with the Marlins. So We'll see what happens there. Those teams will play a few series to kind of duke it out with each other. Um, it'll be a really fun wild card race to watch, honestly, because if you look at it, there are really six teams vying for three spots, and all of them are closely knit with each other. You have the Brewers and the Reds kind of in their own race where one of them is going to win the division, and one of them will be in a tough wild card race. You have the Diamondbacks and the Giants who will be fighting head-to-head, toe-to-toe in that wild card race. And the same thing with the Phillies and the Marlins in the East. And it really does look like the Dodgers and the Braves are going to do what we thought they were going to do from the beginning of the season and win those divisions. So it'll be a really interesting wild card chase. Uh, speaking of the wild card chase, the Padres think they're going to factor into it. I don't really think so. They're 48 and 52. Uh, they're far enough back that they really shouldn't do anything stupid and go all into the trade deadline, but I could see a world in which they say, hey, look, we're six games back, but... Only, only Chicago. I mean, only Chicago has a better than a plus twenty-two run differential. Other than the Padres in the wild card chase, and all these teams are ahead of them. So I could see them saying, "Look, we're an unlucky team. We've gotten better. We've started to play better." That all is true, but I still think that gap is too much for them to make up. Uh, but they might say otherwise, and they might try to, you know, put something together and maybe see what they can do to retool their roster and actually go all in with Blake Snell pitching as well as he is with Hugh Darvish having a better. Uh, year than we thought, or having a better recent part of the year than he did his beginning of the year, and Michael Wacke even having a good year. So we'll see what happens with the Padres. I don't think they should be buyers, but they might convince themselves to be. Uh, they might even just say, look at the teams who are ahead of us, the Diamondbacks, the Giants, the Reds, and the Marlins, and say they have no experience. I mean, the Padres are viewed as an inexperienced team, but the definition of inexperienced is the team that's starting five rookies in the infield. So, you know, there are teams with even less experience than them, uh, they, they, at this point, they aren't really the young team anymore, actually, somehow. Um, so we'll see what happens with them. And then at the bottom of the division, you have the Rockies, who are 39-60, and 60, the worst team in the National League, by a pretty decent amount.
0: Okay, that wraps up our look at Major League Baseball for the week. It also wraps this edition of the 4th and 24 podcast. Please be sure to check out our next podcast, which will be on Friday, July 28th, where we will have a special podcast, the first of four college football preview podcasts, In the first edition of those four Friday podcasts, we will talk about the Big 12 and conference realignment. In the meantime, please be sure to check out Patrick's additional content, including his Major League Baseball Power Rankings that are updated every Wednesday, his picks for next weekend's games, as we mentioned, are posted on Thursdays, and his predictions for the entire college football season, every single game, predicted every team's conference and overall record, if they're in a conference, which will be posted tomorrow on our website, 4thand24.com, that's the number 4, T-H-A-N-D, the number 24.com. Thank you for listening.